Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, please take them out now and turn in them to Psalm number 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, there will be one under a chair in front of you, and you can take that Bible and turn in it to page 401, and you would be at Psalm 23. You know, life is full of complexities and uncertainties and complications and hazards. And all of us have different histories. You know, maybe you are here today and you have lost a spouse or a child. Maybe you came from a broken home. Maybe you have recently been robbed of a big dream that you had. Maybe you are face-to-face with a difficult medical diagnosis. Maybe it's just a case of your debt far outweighs your paycheck. And when we are in those kinds of life situations, what I need and what you need is a true vision of God. I love the words of the Irish hymn from back in the 8th century. Here are the lyrics. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. And David brings us a true vision of God in Psalm 23 where we learn that the Lord is our shepherd and that He is the God who is there. You know, some 360 plus times in the Bible, it talks about sheep and talks about lambs and talks about shepherds. And in this analogy, I will remind you, we are the sheep and the Lord God Himself is my shepherd. And He is the most consistent thing in the universe. I mean, after all, right? The weather shifts. The seasons change. The stock market goes up and down. Earthquakes hit. The economy dips. Leaders rotate. Our health fails. But if you know Him forever, He is your shepherd. And the truths that reside in Psalm 23, men and women, are truths that can change your outlook. They are truths that can change your life. In his book entitled God's Psychiatry, Dr. Charles Allen tells a story of a man who came to see him. Now this is a guy who had started off in his company at the very bottom and he'd worked his way up to the very top levels of the company. But he'd really lost his peace in life. He was confused. He was worried. He was tense. He was a sick person. He had been to doctors. They had all kinds of prescriptions for him, but nothing really had helped. And so he came to Dr. Allen, and Dr. Allen took out a sheet of paper and wrote a prescription for the man. And he prescribed to this man the 23rd Psalm. Five times a day, 
for seven days. And he insisted that this man carry out the assignment to the letter. And here's what he was to do. Upon waking each morning, he was to read through Psalm 23 carefully, meditatively, and prayerfully. And immediately after breakfast, he was to do the same thing. Then immediately after lunch, again, he was to do it. After dinner, again. And finally, the last thing before going to bed. And Dr. Allen gave the prescription with confidence that it would work because he had given out the same advice many times. And here's what he said. This prescription sounds simple, but it really isn't. The 23rd Psalm is one of the most powerful pieces of writing in existence, and it can do marvelous things for any person. I have suggested this to many people, and in every instance which I know of, that it was tried, it has always produced results. It can change your life in seven days. Well, men and women, it has been our privilege over seven weeks to study Psalm 23, the God who is there, who is our all in all. And as we've been moving through the psalm, we have learned that of God our great shepherd, how the Lord is my shepherd. We saw that in verse 1. We saw in verse 2, in the first part of verse 3, that he is the God who satisfies. He is the great antidote to worry. He calms our heart. He renews our spirit. We saw in the second part of verse 3 that he is the God who guides He guides us to the right trails and the right paths. And when we are on paths like that, He gets honored. And then we saw in verse 4 that He is the God who protects. Even when we go into valleys of deep darkness, He is there with His power and with His protective care. And then we we saw that He is the God who provides in verse 5 last week. He is there to meet our everyday needs. He is there when we encounter frustrations and annoyances in life. Now today we come to the last part of the psalm, verse 6, where we're going to see that He is the God who promises. He promises us as His sheep blessing and security and a home forever. So if you have your Bibles open, let's look at what he says in this final statement in verse 6, where we see he is the God who promises. David writes, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What we want to do in the next few moments is to zoom in more closely on verse 6 to understand how David is trying to encourage us with the fact that we have a shepherd who is the God who promises to us. Now, you will be noticing very clearly there that verse 6 begins with the word surely, which in our little video clip with the young lady was the word that she kept wanting to get to. She knew that would be the end. Is it surely yet? Surely Goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Now, did you notice what David says when he uses this word? He doesn't say maybe. (laughs) He doesn't say possibly. He doesn't say I hope just somehow. The word that is actually translated surely here in the the original language of Hebrew is the word ak, A-K. And ak 
in Hebrew means without a doubt. Surely, without a doubt, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. This is an excited cry on David's part based on his acceptance and security with the shepherd. And if Jesus is your shepherd, remember, he died for you. Remember, he adopted you into his family. He has, if you know him as your shepherd, he has tattooed his, or rather your name, on his hand. Isaiah 49, 16 tells us that. He is passionate towards you. In verse 6, when he says, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. I want to remind you that there was a shift in the psalm beginning in um, verse 4 where he starts addressing the shepherd, the Lord, directly. And in verse 6, he is still addressing him directly. And so we could easily say this in verse 6, Surely your goodness and your loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Your goodness and your loving kindness. The NIV, your goodness and your love. The New King James, your goodness and mercy. Your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Aren't you glad that he does not say your justice, your anger, your judgment will follow me all the days of my life? He's excited. He says, without a doubt, your goodness is going to follow me. Let me give you a couple of references. Psalm 145.9 talks about how the Lord is good to all. His mercies are over all of His works. The New Living Translation translates that last phrase, He just showers compassion. That's part of His goodness. Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5 says, Give thanks to Him, bless His name, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting, His faithfulness to all generations. He says, without a doubt, surely goodness, your goodness is going to follow me all the days of my life. I remind you that your shepherd your heavenly Father cares about every detail of your life. And a lot of times when we're in those difficult times, we're thinking, does he really care? Yes, he cares about every minute detail. As we learn from the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, he has the very hairs on your head numbered. He cares about everything down to that minute degree. Surely, without a doubt, goodness will follow me all the days of my life. And some of you are thinking, yeah, but when I'm in those adverse situations, it doesn't always feel good. But we need to remember that His goodness includes several things. It includes His mercy. You remember what mercy is? Mercy is when, when God withholds what we deserve to receive. That's part of His goodness. You know, the worst thing you could ever ask God for is what you deserve. We don't want that. 
And his mercy is part of his goodness. And also his goodness includes his grace. You remember what grace is. Grace is when he lavishes on us what we don't deserve to have. Anybody here deserve to be adopted into the family of God? None of us deserve that. It's part of his goodness to us. See, part of the plan while we're on the planet is that he wants to transform us, he wants to change us, he wants to shape us to be more like the person of Christ. And if you look at my life, you'll know right away that's going to take some work. And as Paul says in Romans 8, he says he works all things together for good. Even when it doesn't feel good, it's still part of the goodness of God. David says, surely, without a doubt, goodness first, and then he says, your loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. The second term that's translated loving kindness in the New American Standard, or love in the NIV, or mercy in the New King James Version, is a very interesting word. It's one of those words that you cannot really translate from Hebrew. You see, there's no word in Greek for this word in Hebrew. You know something about language, you know every once in a while you come up with a word and there's no matching term. There's no word in English that can translate this word. And this word in Hebrew is the word chesed. Got that little guttural beginning to it. You could just write down K-H-E-S-E-D and you have the word chesed. It's just got that guttural beginning, almost the K-H sort of sound to it in English. And this word can be translated loving kindness. It can be translated love. It can be translated mercy. It can be translated faithfulness. It can be translated unfailing love. It can be translated loyal love. All trying to come in with words to try to define the word chesed. And if I were going to just pull some terms together to define it, I would probably pull three words, and that is unconditional loyal love. Without a doubt, your goodness and your unconditional loyal love will follow me all the days of my life. You see, his unconditional loyal love is always there when we are having our best days. And his unconditional loyal love is always there when we're having our worst days. His unconditional loyal love for you never varies. I want you to jot down Exodus chapter 34. Something very interesting happens there. And in Exodus 34, God gives a personal declaration about himself. It's very interesting. He is actually talking about himself And in verses 6 and 7, it says this, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in chesed, loving kindness and truth, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. God says of himself, when it comes to this term, I am abounding in loving kindness. In fact, in Psalm 100, it says that God's loving kindness, His chesed, is everlasting. It's everlasting. It never goes away. And it is abounding 
towards those who know me. Now, when you, when you read something like that statement there in verse 6 of Psalm 23, surely, without a doubt, your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, you might be thinking, well, that's probably some sentiment from someone who lived a sugar-coated, charmed life. I mean, that sounds like somebody who would, who would say something like that who's never experienced valleys of deep darkness in their life. That sounds like something someone would say if they've never felt abandoned. That sounds like someone that someone would say if, if, if they have never experienced the emotion of thinking, God's not even listening to me. But I remind you again of who wrote Psalm 23. It was David. You remember that David was the baby son in the family. That's the way he grew up, and there were a lot of brothers ahead of him. And, and he was always given the lowest and the dirtiest jobs in the family. That's one of the reasons why he was out shepherding sheep. He is someone who was actually hunted down and persecuted by King Saul. You know, that would be just exactly like if President Obama put you on his personal hit list. I mean, just try to imagine the marshalling of all of those resources, and the whole goal was to track you down and eliminate you. That's what he went through. David was someone who had his closest friend in life killed in military battle. He is someone who lost a child at childbirth. He's someone even in his later years was targeted by his older son, Absalom, who wanted to execute his own father. And you can't even begin to imagine the amount of deep betrayal that you would feel. If you have children, imagine that. That's the person who wrote verse 6. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. See, I believe that David learned what Ruth Calkins learned. This is what Ruth has written. I may fall flat on my face. I may fail until I feel old and beaten and done in. Yet your goodness and love is changeless. All the music may go out of my life. My private world may shatter to dust. Even so, you hold me in the palm of your steady hand. No turn in the affairs of my fractured life can baffle you. Satan, with all his braggadocio, cannot distract you. Nothing can separate me from your measureless love. Pain can't. Disappointment can't. Anguish can't. Yesterday, today, tomorrow can't. The loss of my dearest love can't. Death can't. Life can't. Riots, wars, insanity, hunger, neurosis, disease, none of these things, nor all of them heaped together, can budge the fact that I am dearly loved, completely forgiven, and forever free through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. David says, without a doubt, surely, your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. You notice what he says there, right? 
all the days of my life. Not just some days, not just occasionally here or there, hit and miss, but without a doubt, surely your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. In Isaiah 54.10, it says this, The mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Surely, without a doubt, your goodness and your loving kindness will follow me. You know, in the sheep analogy, it's almost like he's picturing two sheepdogs, and you often have sheepdogs around sheep. It's almost like there's going to be these two sheepdogs, like goodness and loving kindness are going to follow me all the days of my life. By the way, I heard about one person who named their two dogs goodness and mercy. Remember, that's the New King James translation of the second word. They named their two dogs goodness and mercy, so they could say, you know, goodness and mercy are going to follow me all the days of my life. Harry Ironside tells a story about a, a poor lady who lived by herself, and she was desperately haunted by fear. And this fear included a phobia that she thought that two men were following her everywhere that she went. So she went to her pastor about this. Pastor, I have a very serious problem. And he says, what is it? She says, everywhere I go, two men follow me. When I go to the grocery store, they follow me. When I get on the streetcar, they get on too. When I come home, they're right behind me. Well, have you reported this to the police? Yes, but they say that they're not there. But I know that they are. And with compassion in his voice, he said, Oh, you're the most blessed woman. Don't you know who those men are? She says, No, do you? Oh, yes, he said, they're David's friends. And then he turned to Psalm 23 and read it, ending with the words, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then he said to her, Those two men are goodness and mercy, and God has sent them to follow you all the days of your life. She said, Pastor, that's wonderful. I think all this time I've, I've been afraid of them. And from that day on, she would go to the streetcar and wait for goodness and mercy to get on with her. And when she'd come home to her apartment, she'd open the door and let goodness and mercy go in. Now, there's, there's a little bit of quirkiness. This is an eccentric story, but the point is the point. Goodness and loving kindness are going to follow us the rest of our lives. Now, I want your eye to drop down to that word, follow. I want you to understand this is not a casual, dawdling, trail-behind kind of follow. In fact, the word follow in the original Hebrew is a very strong word. In fact, the New Living Translation translates it pursue. And the word in the original Hebrew is the word radaf. 
a very strong word. In the military context, it was used of the hostile pursuit of your enemies. Just picture an, an, a military force going after their enemies. Radaf would be used to describe that. It was used in the animal kingdom of a predator pursuing its prey. Think of you know, any you know, movie that you saw or any video you've ever seen of an animal kingdom type sort, and you have a predator who's focused on pursuing the prey. It's not a casual thing. In fact, we could translate this word here, stalk. It's actually a, a very graphic picture. Why? Because it's trying to grab us to understand. This, by the way, is the only place in the Old Testament where the word radaf is used with these two words. Because God is just trying to startle us with the truth that is here. You see, life has its trials and life has its hardships and life has its disappointments and it has its confusing times. And here's what happens to us. When we're in the midst of the calamity, when we're in the valley of deep darkness, what is our natural response? Our natural response is one of worry and fear and doubt. Our natural response is to say to God, why am I here? Why did you let this happen? And at those times, if we're going to be honest, we are tempted. We're tempted to turn and run from God. We're, we're tempted to reason with ourselves, I'd be better off on my own. But here's what David's saying, I learned something. I have learned that God's goodness, His loving kindness, His unconditional loyal love is always there. It's pursuing me. It is riveted on me. Surely, without a doubt, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And if that is where it ended, that would be enough. But he goes on to say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to see that this psalm begins with the Lord, Yahweh God in verse 1. Yahweh God, the God who's the creator of the universe, the God of relationship, is my shepherd. And then it ends with, in verse 6, and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh God forever. And the picture to me seems to be a picture of the royal palace. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about that one day you're going to go to your true home? One day you're actually going to walk into his house. You're actually going to have the privilege, if you know him, of walking into his royal palace. Keep your finger here and turn with me in the New Testament to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and John chapter 10. John 10 is one of those shepherd passages in the Bible. But I want you to notice what he says, Jesus speaking here in verse 27 and 28. He says, my sheep 
hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then notice verse 28 of chapter 10. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, absolutely, positively never. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, he came from heaven to earth to bring us who are on the earth to heaven, to our ultimate home, to heaven. And a lot of times when we think about going to heaven, we, we think about, well, man, that's probably going to be pretty boring and eternity is just sort of laying there. I like naps way too long for a nap. But I love the way Mac Brunson summarizes heaven. He says, when we get to heaven, it's going to mean four things to us. Number one, it's going to mean release. Release from the suffering, release from the pain, release from the mental handicap, release from the physical limitation, release from the medical condition that we have. Heaven means release. The second thing heaven is going to mean for us is reunion. We're going to get there and there are believing loved ones who went through the door ahead of us. And when we show up in the royal palace, there's going to be reunion. I can't wait to see my grandparents again. In heaven, it means release, it means reunion. The third thing it's going to mean is reward. There will be reward there for our faithfulness. When we chose to be faithful to God with our money, with our time, with our talents and our gifts, it will mean reward in heaven. And then it not only means release and reunion and reward, heaven means reassignment. (laughs) You know, we're not going to go up there and nap. We learn from Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14 that we're going to be serving Him. I don't know what all that means, but I think we're going to feel fulfilled like we've never felt fulfilled before. And then we're also going to reign with Him. Uh, Revelation 26 tells us that. I don't even know what all that means exactly. But it means in some way as He reigns and rules in the universe, He is going to allow you and I, if we know Him, to reign with Him. Incredible stuff. That's part of the home that we have before us. And David says, back in Psalm 23, he says, Without a doubt, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, there's really nothing like going home. I remember when we made the first trip to Latvia back in 1990, and we went into Latvia, and it was a very dark depressive place. It was a place that was under Soviet military occupation. Tanks everywhere, threats on the TV from a Soviet general waving his fist at the people. And I remember when we went, we, we went with these two giant suitcases. Uh, one suitcase carried all the stuff we would need for several weeks there. The other suitcase carried all the stuff that we were bringing into the Soviet Union, you know, to give people. And that was a hard time. I really, there were very few people who spoke English. Uh, there was a lot of adjustment I had to go through. It was hard, and I can remember thinking about 
As much as I'm enjoying this adventure, I'm looking forward to going home. And uh, I remember when we came back, I came back with the two suitcases. This time one of them was basically empty. The other one was really heavy. And when we got back to Oklahoma City, at those days, the family could meet you at the gate. And that was pretty exciting. But you know what? I didn't want to stay there. I really wanted to get home. And you know, it was an incredible relief to me. I can still feel the emotion of it to actually get home and to drop that heavy suitcase there and say, I'm home. And it was not so much where I was as the who that I was with. You know, and as we go through our travels and time in this world, there's going to be some moments that you will experience where you think, I really long to go home. I'd like to experience the release from the burdens, from the tears, from the pain, from even the hassle of this life. I was reading some of the writing of Max Lucado, and uh, he, he drew this wonderful verbal picture, as only he can do. And it's a picture of the very moment of our homecoming in heaven. And I want you to just try to picture that. You just walk through the front door of the royal palace. And he writes this. He says, at that moment, only one bag will remain. Not guilt. We dropped that at Calvary. Not the fear of death. It was left at the grave. The only lingering baggage will be this God-given longing for home. And when you see him, you'll set it down just as a returning soldier drops his duffel bag when he sees his wife. You'll drop your longings when you see your father. And those you love will shout. And those you know will applaud. But all the noise will cease when he cups your chin and says, welcome home. And with scarred hand, he'll wipe every tear from your eye and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to know that when I read that, sitting right over there in my office, my whole body trembled at the joyful thought. Surely, without a doubt, goodness and loving kindness will follow me your goodness, your loving kindness, all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, as we complete our study of Psalm 23, I think it's very important that we have some life response to this. And I'm going to suggest two responses. The first response is this. Meet the shepherd. 
See, one of my greatest concerns is that we have people who, are, who come in and out of Wildwood and they don't really know the shepherd. Do you know him? No, I don't mean do you know about him. Do you know him? You see, only if you know the Lord as your shepherd are you going to be able to experience the truth of Psalm 23. And there is a day coming in the future, Matthew 25 describes it, when he is going to come to this planet and he will divide the sheep from the goats. The sheep are those who know him as shepherd. The goats are those who don't. And only to the sheep is he going to say, Come, you who are blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you don't know him, meet the shepherd today. He loves you. He died for you. He wants you to believe in him, to trust in him, to rely on his death for you on the cross. And when you make that choice to believe in that and rest in that, you will meet the shepherd. And the truths of Psalm 23 will apply to you. The second life response is to worship the shepherd. And I want you to know, as, as we've worked our way through Psalm 23, this has really been my basic response. Who am I to deserve a shepherd like this? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for this portion of Scripture. which just drips with supernaturalness. And Father, I, I pray that anybody who hears this, who doesn't know you, would immediately choose to meet the shepherd by faith, to look to what he's done for them, and to be able to embrace these wonderful truths of a shepherd who cares, not only all the days of our life, but forever. And Father, for those of us who know you, May we be overcome with worship for the kind of God that you are. Who am I to deserve this kind of a shepherd? We thank you for being that kind of a shepherd for us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.